Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks, howdy, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. This episode today is going to be a bit messy. It's it's the way my desk looks. Here's how it works, and, and maybe this is you, I don't know. You got 25 projects going simultaneously at all times. And you're completing some, and some are partly done, and some are just ideas. And there be, there begins to be this, this um, collection of unfinished business. Well, that's the way this podcast is. I, you've heard me many times talk for sometimes an hour about a subject and generally the the methodology that I use is I'm sitting there the day before I record and I'm thinking what am I going to talk about today and things start popping in my head and I grab my little notebook I've got a series of these little black um, well they're, they're the kind of black and white uh, composition books that you can buy for a buck at the dollar store And they got about, you know, 125 pages or I I don't know, you know, the the little composition book I've got, I don't know how many of those. And and sometimes I use these little uh, spiral, like six by nine type notebooks and I never throw them away. I keep them. I've got them full. I'm picking up one here right now. This one came from Staples and this thing is just chock full of things I wrote down while I was on the phone with somebody. Uh, here's about a directions to a gig. This is a uh, 2007 <laughs> stuff like that. I got these books. So I jot ideas down and you've heard me turning the pages. And a lot of times, unfortunately, I write down all these ideas and little bullet points and things like that. And then when I get to talking, I find that I don't follow my own notes. And some, when you hear me get scrambled up and kind of backpedaling and things like that, it's, it is because I'm not really looking at the notes. The, what happens is the writing of the notes is what forms or helps organize the thoughts in my own head. It's very much like writing down a piece of music. If you're trying to learn something, let's say you're trying to learn some some banjo tune. If you will take the time to put it on paper in tablature or notation or whatever, just the act of putting it, putting pencil to paper, sort of, I don't know whether it creates some sort of visual map in your brain for how the tune goes, but you will then later be able to recall it easier because you wrote it. So I'm a big believer in writing things down. I'm kind of a list guy, you know, I make these checklists. I'll, I can uh, take a little three by five index card and I'll start jotting down things I need to get from the feed and seed, things I need to get from the grocery store and little check boxes. And I write the list and stuff it in my back pocket and then off to town I go. I never actually use the list. I never pull it out because once you've written it down, A lot of times that's all it takes to commit things to memory. Which, by the way, since this is going to be the most disjointed, no theme 
type of podcast today. Let me tell you something that just popped in my head. Uh, when I went to college, 1979, I show up at Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, and I'm signed up for the Forestry Technology Program. The very first class, the very first class of the day on day one was Forestry 101. And I walk in there. I've bought my book at the bookstore, you know, Essentials of Forestry or whatever it was. And I take my seat in the class. Well, this, you know, the, the professor, <laughs> Harvey Johnson, he starts talking about forestry and the history of forestry and writing a few things on the board and so on. I've got my little notebook there and I'm jotting down this and that. Something about the Biltmore estate. Just writing down. And, and then he wrote down, uh, he, up on the board, he wrote something like um, silviculture. I'm like, well, I've never heard that word before. And then he proceeded to write the definition of sil uh, silviculture. I thought, you know what, if he's taken the trouble to write that on the board, maybe I ought to write that down. So I write down silviculture. I just copy down what he wrote. But then he talked for 15 minutes. I didn't write any of that down. So when I, when I walk out of there at the end of the day, I've jotted down about three things. That's all. He talked for 50 minutes, 45 minutes. But I only wrote down about three key points. So let me fast forward through this little Forestry 101 story. After about two weeks, they have a test. We're all going to have a test on Friday. Okay, so I'm just, you know, thumbing through my notes. And I'm trying to think, well, what are they going to ask on the test? So here was what I did. Every little factoid that I had written down in my notebook, and I had written on the front side of the page only. By the way, if you have a kid in college, explain this technique to him. It'll, it'll guaranteed it, it will move up at least one, possibly two letter grades. If you do the Brad Laird note-taking technique. So I'm just looking, I'm only writing on the front side of, once again, these little spiral notebooks, like six by nine spiral notebooks. I still have those notebooks, by the way, from Forestry 101 and every other class I took. They're just little, little... Uh, you know, anything that was written on the board or anything that seemed prominent, that's what I wrote down and nothing else. So I get back to my dorm room in the afternoon, you know, after I practiced my banjo a while and played the mandolin a while and scratched around on the fiddle and uh, I better study because we do have that test coming up. So I look at those notes and it says silviculture. The Art of Science of Establishing, Maintaining, and Reproducing Forest Trees of All Ages, Sizes, and Conditions of Growth. Now, how do I still remember that? That was 1979. I still remember it word for word. I'm going to explain how I remembered that. That day, I turned the page over to the back side, and I invented, I predicted the question that would be on the test. And my question that I guessed was, what is silviculture? Okay, so what I did is, on the front side were 
facts, dates, information, data, and on the back side of every page, that wasn't there. What was there was a question for which the information on the other side was the answer. So I'm guessing at the test questions, what will they ask? Well, they might ask, what is silviculture? So as you study, you don't read the notes, you read the questions. I only study by reading the questions. And what is silviculture? And I scratch my head and I go, uh, let's see, art or science of something. Art or science of, and if you can't remember, you flip the page over and, well, there it is. The art of science of establishing, maintaining, and reproducing forest trees of all ages, sizes, classes, and conditions of growth. Flip it back, and then you say it. That's it. Next question. What year was the Biltmore Estate established? Oh, man, 18-something. Turn the page back over, and you look at the answer, and then you say it aloud. That was my study method. Write down minimalistic notes. Don't write down word for word what the professor is saying. It takes too much time. You can't, you can't keep up. And then it takes too long to read it, and nothing stands out as important. Just write down the big stuff when, you know, when they look you in the eye and say something, better write that down. And anything that goes on the board, you probably ought to write that down. And then, as soon as you, you can, first available opportunity, make up questions to which those things are the answer. And here's what happened. So the very first test, I go in there, a little 20-question quiz. What's the first question? Number one, what is silviculture? I mean, I'm telling you what, it was as if I wrote the test. Because every single question on that test was a question pretty closely worded that I had already predicted. So what I'm saying is, don't sit there thinking about the information. Think about the question. What's the question? And the information is the answer, okay? Don't just study the answers. Think about the questions. So that was my method. And the other thing is it forces you to dig into your own mind because when you're studying, if you're reading, like read the chapter over and over, you're not quizzing your mind, you're just pouring gunk into your head. If you want to remember something, you have to quiz yourself, you have to test yourself. So you have to ask yourself questions, so you formulate questions. So studying was reading questions and trying to think of the answer, and if you can't think of the answer, it's on the other side of the page. That's exactly how my self-tests work in Mandolin Masterclass and in the Flint Hill Scrolls, which is the banjo version of Metal Masterclass. It's the same thing. You can read and be, you know, dozing off, reading about half steps, whole steps, major scale, the blues scale, blah, 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 blah. And you could read that over and over and over. But if you never formulate a question, you never develop the ability to recall, okay? And if you go to these little self-tests that are, and of course the answers are in the back, and you ask yourself the question, what are the notes of the F major scale? Well, now you got to think. You see, in order to become more intelligent, you have to think.
It's, it's, you're not a tape recorder. You're not just supposed to listen to stuff and regurgitate it. That will get you a, you know, a, a B, maybe a C, but you want to be an A, you know, you want to be an A, you got to learn how to think. So this is what I did in that class. So the grades come back and Harvey Johnson, which by the way, I wrote a bluegrass song called Harvey Johnson, which is on the Cedar Hill album. Uh, called Don't Let the Stars Get in Your Eyeball Sockets. <laughs> that was the last CD that we recorded uh, before I left Cedar Hill after 26 and a half years. On that CD is a song called Harvey Johnson, and my forestry professor, Mr. Harvey Johnson, um, only by name only. I mean, I just like the name, so I used it as a character in a song that I wrote. And I'm not going to talk about the song right now. I might, at the end of this, in fact, I will, at the end of this podcast, I'll just use it as my outro music, since I totally, 100% own all rights to the song Harvey Johnson. However, if you have a band and you like the tune, and you want to do it, just send me an email and let's talk, because I'd love to hear somebody else do it. Um, okay. So Harvey Johnson, he comes in, he's graded the tests on Monday morning, going to hand out the tests and he liked to call everybody by their last name and Laird, yeah. you know, raise your hand. He's learned the names of everybody. He's learning the last names of everybody in the class. And he was really good at it. He made a, almost a game of making sure he knew everybody's name and where uh, where you were from, what town, and most people were from in Georgia. And then he gradually shifted over to referring to you by where you were from. Like there was a there was a girl in our class who was from Ty Ty, Georgia. That's T Y space T Y. Ty Ty. There really is a town in Georgia called Ty Ty. It's a wonderful little place. <laughs> Ty Ty, Georgia. Well, as soon as, you know, you had to stand up and announce, oh, my name is uh, Bud Laird and I'm from Rex, Georgia. He would remember Laird and Rex, but eventually he'd start calling you Rex. Rex, you know, well, that was you. Well, she became Ty Ty. You know, we had Albany. We had Statesboro. We had uh, Marietta, Mayretta. We had, you know, we had people from all over the place. So he'd either call you by your last name or your town name. And I think that was sort of a, a memory device for him. Much like the kind of memory devices I'm talking about right here. Oh, hey, let me open the door. Listen. You hear that? Don't be one of them. I already fed them this morning. I don't know what they're hollering about. They're, they're spoiled. That's what it is. They like that Super 12, that sweet feed. Okay, I've totally lost track of what I'm talking about. Harvey Johnson, he's handing out the tests. Laird, congratulations, Laird. 100. Hey, I'm feeling pretty good. Wow. But, you know, that was really a, like a stupidly easy test. It was as if I wrote the questions myself. So I get 100. I sit down, you know, 
you know, I'm like a rooster with my feathers ruffled up, you know, I'm pretty proud. And he goes through, you know, I wasn't the only hundred. There were a couple of others. There were some 95s and 92s. And then I hear this name, Clinton, like as in Bill Clinton, wasn't Bill Clinton, but Clinton, he had to go up and he handed him his paper and he goes, 25, like 25. How does somebody get a 25 on such a ridiculously easy test? And Clinton just takes his paper and goes back and sits down. And he's way at the back of the room. Well, this fascinated me. The next test came around a couple of weeks later. I'm using the same method, just jotting down a few things, reading that, making up my own questions, walking in, and there's my questions as if I had written the test. Test number two, Laird 100. Congratulations, Laird. Clinton, 40. <laughs> How's this possible? I mean, this is, this is ridiculously easy. You know, what are the four primary species of southern pine? <laughs> this ain't hard stuff. This ain't rocket science. This is like, this is like Cub Scout level stuff. I, I was a little disappointed. I thought it would be a little more difficult, but it wasn't. Clinton, 40. Next test, Clinton, 35. And I'm like, I don't know how this is possible. This is so easy. And yet, here's a guy struggling. So, after that third test, after class, and I didn't even know the guy, I went up to that guy because they were standing around out in the hall. I said, hey, Clinton, do you want to study? Do you want to study together? And he had been seeing Laird 100, Laird 100, Laird 100. And he's like, yeah, yeah. If you could help me out, that would be great. I said, all right, come to my dorm room, branch 211. You know, maybe after lunch or something, come by there today, bring your notebook. Let me see how you're doing this thing. So we meet up. I take a look at his notebook. My notebook, to that point, we're about three weeks into this class, or maybe six weeks, is about four pages in a small notebook. He's got about 40 pages of handwritten verbatim transcriptions of every word Harvey Johnson has said. He's back there like a scribe, just writing down everything. Just, I didn't know this because he was way at the back of the room, and I was sitting in the front row. I mean, I, I just plopped down the first seat because I was too lazy to walk all the way to the back. Plus, I figured I could hear better and see better. So I kind of quickly showed him what I was doing. I said, first off, Clinton, the reason you're not getting this stuff is because you're trying to write down everything he says, and everything he says is not important. I mean, you're writing down his dumb jokes and stuff. Forget all, don't write, just in fact, leave your pencil at home. You don't write anything down. Try this out. Just listen. Just sit there and listen to him. And these were my rules. Number one, sit in the front. If you sit in the front, 
that'll get you one letter grade higher. You got an F in this class. That'll just bring you up to a D just by being in the front because you'll be able to see better, hear better. You'll have fewer distractions. And he's more likely to call on you, you know? So this, you, you're going to be a little more attentive if you're right there in the front row. So sit up there by me. You know, it's not assigned seating. Just come up there and park yourself right next to me. That'll get you, that'll bring you up to a D. All right, now put your pencil down. Don't write down nothing. Quit all that writing because every time you're writing, you're not listening. Get up front, put your pencil down. And the only thing I want you to write down is if he writes something on that blackboard. If you see that chalk moving, just copy down what he put up there because he's telling you what's going to be on the test. Okay, that'll move you up another grade <laughs> at least. Then I showed him how to make up questions for what he was writing, that thing I talked about. Then what we do is every day after class, we start eating lunch together. So after lunch, we'd get together and we would just ask each other our questions that we devised. So I'd just go through, you know, what is silviculture? You know, and if he couldn't think of it, he could look at his notes, you know. What, what are the, what's the genus and species of the loblolly pine? Uh, Pinus, Pinus something. Uh, uh, da -da -da -da. Pinus teida, you know, okay. Guess what? The next test came around. This is like two weeks of this, you know, Bud Laird's how to ace college methodology. The test is handed out. We take the test. We hand them in. Harvey Johnson's announcing the test grades, calling everyone up to the front to embarrass them or recognize them. Laird, 100. Clinton. Good job, 96. I felt better about my achievement with Clinton than I did with me. I sort of had this little ridiculous class figured out. It was not hard. I think it would have been hard if I was doing it his way. Just stop and think about that. How much gobbledygook is in your head? versus how much vital information. And I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of this podcast is gobbledygook. I mean, if you get down to the real, essential, important things, you know, I might say one or two things in each 40, 45 minute, hour long, but there's some gold in there. There's some nuggets in amongst all that black sand and crushed rock there's some gold nuggets in there that's all your job is is find the gold nuggets and i'm trying to make them as obvious as i can so was harvey johnson when that chalk went on that board he's pointing you right to the gold nuggets you know you can enjoy all the rest of it and you should listen to the jokes and the stories and the tales and all that that makes it more fun but once in a while a nugget comes up so I want to explain to you, I've talked about my tendency to keep these notebooks and all these things. One of the things that, um, that study method, why it works so well is because you're putting pencil to paper, you're thinking of the question rather than thinking of the answer, 
You know, force yourself to come up with the answer. Quiz yourself. Quiz yourself. Practice testing. That's what you're doing. And this learning method, it applies to everything. It doesn't matter if it's forestry or music. You got to start listening and you, st you have to start guessing and predicting what is required of you. The better you are at that, the better musician you'll be, the better historian you'll be, the better woodcarver you'll be, the better everything you'll be. You've got to challenge your mind. Okay, so I got all these notebooks, and this stuff just builds up. And so I'm like I was talking about cleaning off the desk. There's all this stuff. It's a good idea to periodically go back and wade through all that stuff. Flip through those notebooks. Make notebooks. Go back and look at them. I find all kind of stuff that I jotted down that I never said. And I think, God, I mean, you know, I need to circle that in red. And maybe, you know, maybe in the next podcast, I'll make sure I tell about the time I helped rob a bank. I wrote that down in my notes. I've, I've got this one particular book, which, gosh, there's all sorts of stuff in here. Notes from probably 20 or 25 different episodes. And, and there's a page just headed... The heading says stories. Um, I'm just going to tell you uh, just a few of these, which I haven't told yet. I think only one of these have I told the story. There's one called Zimbo Gambi, which <laughs> I'll have to explain that later. I helped rob a bank. I'll, I'll tell that story one of these days. Um, getting in a fight at Branch's Saloon. Um, just Say Yo. I actually did that one. I told you that one. The Just Say Yo story. Carol Stokes, a train, and a speeding ticket. That's the story I'll tell you one of these days. And that's a bluegrass story. Uh, having the keys to the school. <laughs> oh, this, here's one. The dude stole our CDs. I'll just Let me real quick, just to make this somewhat bluegrassy, tell you the story. The dude stole our CDs. So Cedar Hill is, you know, playing around Atlanta. We get all kind of weird requests for gigs and stuff. So one time we get a request. Delta employees are going to have a have a little, some department at Delta. Maybe the, you know, the bean counting department is going to have a little picnic out in the park next to their offices. And can you guys come and play? So it's a lunchtime gig. We're just going to play acoustically one hour. That's it. Just a little acoustic gig. We're going to stroll around, pick a little bit for this group of, you know, 75 Delta employees. You know, probably made three or 400 bucks for the gig. And of course, we bring our CDs, which we carried in a case. Uh, you know, they used to have those little, uh, like, toting around cases where you could put like 50 CDs in this thing and had these little plastic dividers in it, a little zip up nylon thing. And you could carry your CDs like, Hey, I'm going to a party. I'll take my CD collection. One of those cases. And we would carry our product that we're selling, you know, CD number one and CD number two were in that case. So we carry it to every gig. And when we get there, it's just picnic tables in a park. So we just set the CDs on the picnic table. And we're strolling around picking and stuff. I don't even think we sold a CD. Well, we're right in downtown Hapeville, Georgia, which is just like just over the fence from the Atlanta airport. We're walking around. 
picking a little bit for this table and going over here and do me and um, I'm my own grandpa for this table and this table they kind of want to hear Rocky Top and somebody wants to hear Man of Constant Sorrow. We're just, you know, working the crowd and drift back over to the picnic table where our cases were and stuff and where the CDs were sitting there. And the dadgum CDs are gone. Not only are the CDs gone, so is the little zipper bag inside with about 250 bucks in it. It is gone with the wind. Gone. Now, we had seen this dude hanging around. There was, there was like some homeless dude just kind of hanging around on the fringes of this thing, sitting, at a, sitting on a bench. And we thought, well, he just probably just hanging around here listening a little bit to the picking, you know. That's what I'd do if I was homeless and I heard a bluegrass band playing in a park. I'd hang around there. That's probably where I'll end up. Well, it was our suspicion that the dude helped himself to the CDs. So I spent the next couple of days going around to um, every trash can and dumpster within about a two-block area of that trying to find it because I figured the guy snagged the money and just pitched the CDs. No luck. I mean, I looked and I looked. I spent a lot of, several hours, five, six hours, driving around digging through trash cans and stuff, trying to, just, if nothing else, just get the CDs back. You know, 50 CDs at 10 bucks a pop, that's 500 bucks worth of product, you know. Anyway, never found them. And certainly never found the money. Didn't find any sign of it. But I was walking down the street and there was a pawn shop. I thought, you know, just for yucks, I'll, I'll go in here and I'll always looking around in a pawn shop. I go in there and the guy's got a bunch of used CDs for sale. Just racks of them. I'm like, huh. I walk over there. I'm looking. Well, I'll be damned. There's two of our never open Cedar Hill CDs for sale, dollar a piece. You know, that dude had taken them CDs to that pawn shop and sold them for, you know, I don't know what he got, 15 cents a piece or something. Who knows? And so I picked him up and I went up to the counter and I, I said, Hey, Hey, uh, this, this pretty good CD you got here, uh, for dollar piece. Um, you got any more of these? No, I ain't. that's all I got, just them. I said, well, we were playing in this park right across the street yesterday. And uh, this homeless dude swiped our CD case. So, you know, that's our CD. He's like, here, just take them. Take them. If I see any more, I left him a card. And I never did hear from the guy again. Anyway, that was the time the dude stole our Cedar Hill CDs. <sighs> See, this is the sort of stuff. This is not what you call the gold nuggets. That's just, don't write that down. I mean, yeah, you heard it, but don't write that down. Try to write down the important stuff. Which brings me to my final thing for this episode. And that is, I've also got a little box. I'm going to wrap this up. This is good. I don't even know what I'm doing today. Well, wait a minute. Let me stop and give you a quick update on the apricot ale. The apricot ale is finished, bottled, done. I think I started the yeast in February the 19th, I think. 
I bottled it on March the 2nd. Got 49 12-ounce bottles. Lost a, lost, I usually get 52. And it was probably from taking samples as it was progressing. I'd have to, I probably need to check the specific gravity of that this batch and test it. And, well, I hate to pour it down the drain. So that's probably where those other missing three bottles went. Anyway, finished it up. Oh, man, turned out good. The original gravity for you homebrewers was 1040, and the final gravity was 1011. So you can you can get out your calculator and figure out what the alcohol content was. Probably about 4%, 4.5. Anyway, what I did, I'm just trying to spread the love, bluegrass style. Every week I go to a little picking. And I, they've graciously allowed me to play the dobro at their picking once a week. And it has really helped my dobro playing. Uh, it's just nothing like doing it if you want to learn. You know, I mean, I do practice. I do practice. But you got to go out and try it in the real world. So anyway, I go there every Tuesday night and play the dobro. I thought, well, I need to, this would be a good way to say thanks to these guys. So I took each one of the six guys a sample bottle of it. And I even made labels for it, Laird's Apricot Ale. And uh, I took them, and of course, you know, I don't want to break any laws or anything like having untaxed, unlicensed alcoholic beverages in a, you know, in Pat's place. So I said, hey. Y'all come to my car afterwards. I'm going to give you a sample. And if you like it, just say the word and I'll bring you six more, you know, because I don't want to give it away if you don't really like it. Anyway, so if you're wanting to have a taste of it, well, you're going to have to come to Pat's place and jam on a Tuesday night and then you'll get in on some of that good stuff. Anyway, it, you know, the, I have a feeling yeah, it'll all be given away next week because they're going to try it and they're going to really like it. I am going to hold one uh, six-pack in reserve because my wife said, well, aren't you going to give me one? I'm like, yeah, baby, here. Here's a six-pack. And then I'll have to make another batch. Okay, so that brings you up to date on the Apricot Ale. What I was talking about, about the gold nuggets, go back and if you bought Mantle Masterclass and you read it, go back and thumb through it again. If you bought a video, go watch it again. You know, how many books have you read in your life and how many of them do you remember much of anything? I'm this way with movies. I can go see a movie and ask me two weeks later, I don't even, I don't remember anything about it. I'd be good at hiding my own Easter eggs, I guess is what I'm saying. But I found a little technique that has, has been, I've, I think it's beneficial. I got a little uh, 3x5 index card box. I bought it at, like, I don't know, one of these craft places, like $1.59 for a little little wooden box. I'm like, that's a really nice wooden box. I could not make that for $1.59. So I bought me one, took it home, sanded it, and varnished it, and thought, well, you know what? It's, a, it's, a, it's meant to hold index cards. I need to go buy me some index cards. Didn't know what I was going to do with this thing. So I went down to the dollar store and bought about three packs of 3 by 5 lined index cards. And what I have done over the last seven or eight years is if I'm reading a book, 
or I'm listening to a podcast, or just some random ingenious thought comes into my mind, I open that little box and I get my pencil out and I write that thing down on a card and I put it in the box. Now at that point, see, most people would just forget that thing. Just forget the thought. I mean, how many in brilliant things have you heard in your life that you can't recall? Well, what good does that do you? I think about, you know, I give my advice, free advice to my son on the way to school. How much of it do you think he remembers? But if he took the time to jot that down on a little 3 by 5 index card and put it in his little wooden box, maybe, you know, every couple of months when he's bored, he might pick his box up and just thumb through him and go, oh man, that's brilliant. So you might want to do something similar. Um, I just want to read a couple of these because these are things that just, for whatever reason, stunned me as being completely brilliant. Now, these are not bluegrass things, but, you know, if, if I'm forced to only talk about bluegrass, you know, I'm sure you can find some way to somehow connect what I'm saying to bluegrass. Here's one that I wrote down, and I, I usually try to take the time to write it very neatly in script. You know, I think we should, you know, quit with the chicken scratching and perhaps learn to a little penmanship and a little, my handwriting is terrible. I'm just going to admit that. But if I take my time, I've been trying to learn how to write in Spencerian script with a dip pen. And let me tell you, it's, it's ugly. But I take the time to write it. Give it the, if, if this is such an important idea, give it its due. Treat it with respect. So here's one. These are just random things. And some, I'm, I'm going to say, sometimes I write down things and then I'll put a question mark. And that means, do I really agree with what I just wrote down or is this something I should maybe think about more in the future? Here's one. And these could be musical things. These could be, I don't care what area of life it is. This is just little reminders, little possible gold nuggets in your life. Here's one. Good health does not come in a pill. That's all that's on that card. Think about that. I, by the way, I absolutely agree with that. Here's one I was reading uh, and found this quote. And this in many ways describes me. This is um, attributed to a fellow named John Dryden in 1681. Quote, Great wits are sure to madness near allied, and thin partitions do their bounds divide. Ain't it the truth? If you need to hear that again, just hit rewind. That is so true. There was a very fine line between a great mind and total madness. And I, I think sometimes I walk that line and, oh. And then another one. This is, you got to read your Roman history, folks, and your Greek history and things like this. I mean, you can't just read magazine articles, People Magazine, and, 
and listen to podcasts like Grass Dog Radio. Sometimes you got to get the books out, you know? Seneca, in the first century AD, said this, There is no great genius without a tincture of madness. Of course, he didn't say it in English. That's a translation, obviously. Here's one. I, I'm, I'm not going through the whole box. This is my gold. You know, you got to find your own gold. But I'm going to give you a couple of free nuggets. I like this one a lot. When the body is active, the mind is still. When the body is still, the mind is active. So think about that. If your body needs to get more active, maybe you need to, like, still the mind a bit. Or, if your mind is overactive, maybe you need to activate your body, and that'll help. Really you know, you ever heard people take it, you know, like, man, I'm so stressed out, and then I worked out, and I felt great. Think about that. When the, when the body is active, the mind is still. When the body is still, the mind is active. Here's one. This is one that I put a little question because I need to give it more thought, but I, I kind of like the concept. I just haven't fully fleshed it out yet. This is an interesting question. Those are worth writing down, too. Here it is. If you have enough information to ask a coherent question, you have enough information to answer it. Think about that. All right, blah, 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 blah. That's enough of that for now. I, mean, I don't want to turn this into some sort of philosophy podcast. I'll start a different philosophy podcast. That's it, folks. That's all I got today. Let's hear my crazy song, Harvey Johnson. And I'm just going to briefly explain. This is the sort of song that Without an introduction, you just hear it go by, and you're kind of like puzzled. And I guess that means, as a songwriter, I failed, because the song should stand on its own. But I always felt like it went over better and was understood more easily by the audience if I did a little explanation. And here's the quick explanation. Back in, I think it was 1994, there were tremendous rainfall and floods in South Georgia. And many of the river systems in South Georgia flooded, including the Flint River and the Chattahoochee River and the town of Albany, Georgia, and Americas here were greatly affected by flooding. Well, I, I'm hearing about these floods, and I was up in Atlanta where we were unaffected by them at that time. But I was seeing in the Atlanta paper pictures of these floods and stuff, and I saw this picture on the front page of the Atlanta Journal. And it was a photograph of a bunch of caskets floating in the river that apparently there was a cemetery near Albany, Georgia that had gotten flooded and the caskets being airtight buoyed to the surface and bobbed about and were floating down the Flint River. And I just found that to be a very poignant idea that, yeah, they planted him in the ground. Therefore, ever he shall rest in peace. Nope, not these people. They're floating out to sea. You know, they're going to be down in the Gulf of Mexico if nobody picks them up. 
So a few months later, I saw an article in the, in the Atlanta paper once again about a city worker who worked for the city of Albany parks and recreation department or something like that, you know, maintenance department, something like that. But during those floods, he and his coworkers had to get a, like a John boat and go out and retrieve these floating caskets and drag them up on the shore. And some of them had like broken apart and opened. And anyway, this guy was apparently traumatized by this experience and was suing the city of Albany for mental anguish and, you know, like PTSD from having to round up floating caskets and so on. So I'm reading this story. I'm thinking that is the strangest thing. So I sat down and I wrote a song and I just tried to envision who, who might perhaps be in one of those caskets who floated up and I cooked up this tale and I used the name Harvey Johnson as a person who, well, just now that you know that, when you hear about Harvey sailing the seven seas, just think of those caskets floating up from that flooded cemetery in Albany, Georgia. Having told you that, I think this song will make a lot more sense. Y'all take care and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Enjoy my little tune here, Harvey Johnson, performed by Cedar Hill. Sailing on the sea To ride the waves and catch a western breeze As the captain of his ship And the master of his fate But Harvey Johnson's dream had to wait Through thirty years of farming Raising kids and corn His dream of sailing faded and was worn But beneath his dusty overalls Somewhere in his core Harvey Johnson set out from the shore Somewhere living all his dreams, Harvey Johnson's ship sailing true. Somewhere on the seven seas, Harvey Johnson sails across the blue. said wasn't meant to be that rain started falling as they laid him in his grave harvey johnson never rode the waves but that rain kept on falling in july 94 farms were lost it kept raining more floods covered everything and washed it all away including harvey johnson so they say Somewhere, living all his dreams, Harvey Johnson's ship sailing true. Somewhere on the seven seas, Harvey Johnson sails across the blue. Somewhere, living all his dreams, Harvey Johnson's ship sailing true.
seven seas. Harvey Johnson sails across the blue. 